Do you ever get to that point in the day at around 3.45 where you just, you're just sick of water? You know, you're just sick of it. I've had enough of this crap. I want vodka. When will it be five o'clock? Come on. Hey, it's JB. Uh, How's it going? Welcome to the Bold Acting Podcast, episode four. Is it episode four or three? I don't know. I'll figure that out later. Advice on performance and on life from me, Jason Bryden. Let me tell you how to do it. Whether you're starting out in your 20s or your 60s, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, an actor, or a politician, we all have audiences to serve. I've been an actor for 25 years, but I just started coaching and teaching recently. I didn't have anything to teach before. Honestly, I got better at acting just last year. Like, I took a huge jump forward that had taken me years to figure out. It was because I consulted with my mentor, a mentor, Ben in Vancouver, Ben Emanuel of Haven Acting Studios, uh, who gave me some great advice, including get back into class. I had always taken class, but I got back into the right class, classes, Meisner and singing, and it changed everything. Being in class is really important, and I finally figured out that maybe I've got something to give. I've got a lot of strong opinions on performance technique, and I want to share them with you. Today, I'm going to share those, and then we're going to do a Q&A, uh, this week's questions. If you have a question, send a voice memo to jasonbryden at gmail.com, and I'll try to answer it on the show. That email again is jasonbryden at gmail.com. Okay, let's get into it. Recently, I've been reading about actors trusting the process. Trust. The, I think it means hold steady, work, your, work the craft, keep going. But let's examine it further. What is this process, and why are we being so trustworthy? Whatever your process is, you may be in the process of figuring out a process if you're just starting. So don't get too hung up on this. I think all it means is practice. So this process of yours, investigate it, pull it apart, question it. Who gave you this process? Does it still serve you? And why all the reverence while we're at it? Performers can be so precious. Where did this come from? Save your earnestness for the craft. Take that seriously, not yourself, all right? Actors are so preshy. The process should be a joyful one, by the way. You know, that discovery, that rigor, that daily practice. If you're sitting on your couch staring at your phone, you're missing out on all the fun. The fun is in the work. So get off of the phone for once and for all. Practice your craft every day. I mean, everybody else is that works, right? But actors go to class once a week. And, you know, then we email our agent and we go to the gym and we go to our therapist and the scene. But it's not the whole scene. If you want to get great at it, you got to put your back into it when, when you don't want to do it. When it's boring, when it's hard, when it's not filled with inspiration and people and alcohol. you got to do it by yourself. Do you have a monologue going? 
You should have a monologue in your back pocket. Anytime you're somewhere where you think, oh, I'm going to whip my phone out here while I wait for a coffee or the bank or traffic or whatever, you should have a monologue going. Don't look at your phone. I sound like a broken record. Pull that monologue out and memorize it. If you're not working right now, you should be preparing to work. And it's through the work that you will fall in love again. Make stuff with other people. You will be reminded of why you got into this in the first place. Trust nothing. Don't trust the process. Trust absolutely nothing but your passion. Passion beats talent every single time. So when in doubt, work it out. Work more. Turn towards what's hard. Can someone feed the cat? That damn cat. You got to feed her on schedule or the protesting is amazing. Number two, follow rules, be boring. Rules are policy. All right, we put systems in place because they make things more efficient. For instance, stop signs allow people and cars to interact better than not having stop signs. But now, in many places, not all, but some, stop signs are being replaced with roundabouts. The rules changed because a better strategy was found. Rules are meant to be examined. They're not written in stone. What is their providence? Who gave them to us? Are they right for you? As a society shifts, so too should policy. Deemed obsolete, a rule should be destroyed. Because a rule followed without thought not only doesn't serve, it can sabotage. Take the unwritten societal rules around politeness. When it is the opposite of standing up for yourself, the rule isn't working. Politeness serves when in a lineup at the cafe and while you're working on your monologue in that lineup. Or when you're trying to be a good guest. I'm talking to you, my ungrateful spawn. Politeness sabotages when we misplace hierarchical importance to authorities such as the police or the church. Shout out to pedos. Look to the iconoclasts, the ones that couldn't help but do it differently. The ones that couldn't help but do it their way. Try them on for size. Adopt a bit of the rebel or the rascal. Watch how the confident person changes the energy in the room just by walking into it. They don't assimilate with what is already there. They change it to their advantage. When you're rehearsing your next self-tape or your next presentation or your opening statement, make it different for the sake of difference. We can figure out the why later. Don't overthink things. Examine every rule, and if it benefits you to break it, then do so. We do, doodly do, doodly do what we must, muddly must, muddly must. Muddly do, muddly do, muddly do, until we bust, bodily bust, bodily bust. Kurt Vonnegut Do you resent other people's success? I sure do. I can't listen to Smartless, the podcast, because of my resentment. And I have no connection with the individual hosts, either. I have nothing against them. I've never met them, never worked with them. I resent people from afar that I have no involvement with. Besides the hosts being terrible at interviewing, it is my pettiness that stops me from participating as a listener. As usual, anytime you spend a lot of time on something that is a waste of your time, you crowd out other things that you could be focusing on. Like this morning, me and my 11-year-old 
were waiting in the fracture clinic at the hospital for him to get a cast put on his broken arm. There was a woman circling the waiting room on her crutches. She couldn't believe the wait was so long. In spite of her being in her 70s, with a ton of experience at the whims of the Canadian healthcare system, she was still shocked that the waiting room was in disarray. I saw her behavior and felt her energy, and I started to slide into it. Yeah, why is this taking so long? Why do I have to take a number when I have an appointment? How come there are people that came here after me that are going in first? The way I deal with this has become second nature. I created another habit when I see the red flag of negativity begin to flutter in the breeze of my ego. I go inside my rich inner life and I think about stuff rather than just spinning off into a whirlwind of frustration. I daydream. I look at my kid. He's reading his book. I'm reading my book. Now I'm just reading a book at 7.30 in the morning in a hospital basement. It could be worse. I love hospitals, for one thing, so what am I complaining about? This is actually a great way to spend time with your kid. First off, your arm isn't broken. His is, so that's a win. Second, you're reading. So is he. Win-win. Thirdly, you're not going to have to pay for this cast, because you're in Canada. Jackpot. I haven't had monetary success with any of the podcasts I've made, and I think I'm on number five by now. Also, I am incapable of creating things out of spite. So either resent other people's success or create your own art. You can't do both. I choose to create. And I choose to listen to podcasts other than ones that annoy me, like this one, the one that you're listening to. Isn't it good? Steal from the greats. A great way to practice performance technique is to steal from really good actors. So watch something on your TV, and then when you see good acting, press pause, rewind, watch it again, and try and do it the way they're doing it. Watch Giant with James Dean and Rock Hudson. Watch James Dean act. Press pause and try to do what he did. Giant is such a good example because this is the beginning of method acting. So you can see Rock Hudson doing old school presentative acting in the same film. But it looks like the two actors are from different centuries. Press play, then press pause. Figure out how they're doing this. Try doing it yourself. How does it feel? Try breaking up with Michelle Pfeiffer like John Malkovich did in Dangerous Liaisons. You can't argue the breakup, Michelle. It is beyond my control. Watch Barbara Stanwyck in Double Indemnity rebuff Fred McMurray, all the while seducing him. See Nick Nolte eat shit in front of John Travolta in The Thin Red Line. See good acting, press pause, rewind, play it again. Try to do it yourself. We're not reverse engineering performance here, okay? There's no way you can plagiarize a John Travolta performance. So don't worry about that. We're just trying to figure out how they got there so that we can try in our own way to get there too. Other people do this. It's called active watching. 
See the OCAD students sitting around sketching in their sketchbooks the paintings on the wall at the AGO. Comedians emulate their favorites before they find their own voice. Singers try on other singers' style. Actors don't do this enough. Do this more. Play stop and start with the next movie you're watching. The hustle is overrated. First year university. Before I came back to Vancouver from the University of Calgary, I sent a letter out to every theater that I could find, telling them that this was their lucky day. The prodigal son was returning. I actually took this arrogant, clueless tone because I thought it conveyed confidence. Of course, no one replied to me, and I went back to work at at a country club up the road from my parents' house as a bartender at night, and then I ran the weekend daycare during the day, which was fine. There was alcohol, and I liked taking care of kids. You know, that's where I learned how to braid hair and put on a diaper. What I didn't learn, what took me a few more years to learn, was that I shouldn't be hustling before I have something to hustle. I mean, even after four years of university, I was still a terrible actor. Now I teach young students to don't put themselves out there at all. Don't worry about getting an agent. Don't worry about networking. I mean, please, stop with the networking. What a phenomenal waste of time. Work on your craft. Work on acting. That should take 100% of your time. It's going to take years for some of us to get up to a level. This isn't the beginning of cinema anymore. You know, you can't just walk off the street. The competition is stiff. You've got to work at it. It's not about networking unless you want to be really good at networking. Then become a networker, whatever that means. It doesn't sound fulfilling to me. If you want to act, focus on acting and don't tell people about it until you got a black belt in it. What if we took out the hustle and instead just focused on making art? Hustling keeps us in a state of want. You know, I don't have enough likes. I don't have enough followers. I got to keep moving faster and faster. It's a part of this culture of deprivation, as my friend Bev calls it. We're always deprived of something. We'll figure it out. Even if we get all of our hopes and dreams answered, we're still going to be hustling for something else. But I'm sick of this. I mean, I don't know if I can, but I want to stop doing this. Why am I hustling? Like, what if I just made stuff that fulfills me? Because if if I like it, then other people are going to like it too. You know, me being pretty average, So as long as I'm scratching that creative itch, I should be good. I have to remember that I don't have to get my money and my meaning in the same place. Scott Galloway said that. I can take care of the adult stuff that everybody has to and is annoying, like paying bills and stuff, kids and blah, blah, blah. And I can make art separately and they can exist. And it's okay. Just take the pressure off. Make the art. Turn down the hustle. The hustle is bullshit. Unforced errors. In tennis, an unforced error is a mistake a player makes all on their own, no matter who they're playing. You're an expert at making these. You're in your head. You're stuck in a groove. For instance, have you ever told a joke for years that never really got the laughs you think it should? 
And then when you finally drop it from your repertoire, the unforced error disappears. Just by virtue of not talking, you stop screwing up. If we continue to behave in a way that doesn't serve, we'll always get the same result. And there's a comfort in that. See, I knew that wouldn't work. Yep, I knew they wouldn't like it. They just don't understand me. It's their fault, not mine. So we're right in our mistakes. Now, of course, I'm not talking about failure in art, because that doesn't exist. You can't fail when you're making art. We're just trying. You try. You try, 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 and then you die. The destination is death. The destination is not making it. Making it is making stuff with people you love. Take care of the low-hanging fruit, the unforced errors that you keep doing no matter the opposition or the environment. What I talk about when I talk about original thought. Forget about being original. It's too late. Besides, it's not a goal. Don't wait around for perfection. It'll never come. Murakami's autobiographical book on running... My two-word review, so boring, is called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And since reading that book, I write that phrase a lot. I like it. I like its symmetry, its built-in poeticism. Am I stealing when I change the adverb of running to original thought? No, it's fine. Is that an adverb? I don't know. I don't care. Murakami stole that title from Raymond Carver. He wrote his collection of short stories called What We Talk About When We Talk About Love in 1981. Even the best crib from the best. Original thought is overrated. Waiting for inspiration is a fool's errand. Just start. Start writing. Start creating. Start making. If you haven't started yet, you don't have an audience to disappoint. So just start making stuff. The whole idea, it's so good that we don't have an artist, uh, an audience at first. We couldn't, we would just lose it anyway. So just start making stuff. Good or bad, it doesn't matter. No one will notice. This is getting a bit woo, but it's true. There's a lot of adversity these days. All this union busting is getting me down. If you're facing adversity, then you're in the right place. This is what it means to be an artist. They attack us because we speak the truth, because we risk things not for the almighty buck, but because we are compelled. We do this, we make this art, not for money, but because we have to, because we love it. And that doesn't fit in with the capitalist system that we live in. So we're a threat. When I was five, I was playing a mouse in a school production. I was wearing large brown ears and brown tights. There's a photo of me and my best friend Steve standing in Mrs. Hastings' grade one class waiting to go on. I felt exposed. I said to my mom before I went on that I felt sick and that we should just go home. And she said that I wasn't sick. It was just stage fright. It wasn't a big deal. And you still have to go on. Because it doesn't matter. The show must go on. It's urgent now. We must still go on. Art must keep going. It doesn't matter the adversity. In fact, the adversity is the fuel 
that will help you to create your art. Adversity is the friction we need to feel stuff. If everything's fine and good and comfortable, and believe me, there's a big part of me that wants that. There's a big part of me that wants guaranteed income for everybody. There's a big part of me that wants a social safety net and for all this stress to just melt away. But, you know, if we have to deal with it, then why not make it the fuel for our art? Why not make it the thing that we require? Why not make it, we make it the thing we bump up against? Alberta, for instance. I've said this before. Look at Alberta. Like the four, year, four or five years I lived there, there, there was just all this money as long as oil was booming. And there's all this art. I mean, incredible artists, incredible theater, a th- incredible theater scene, a music scene. Why was this? Well, because of two things. There's tons of money and there's bad weather. And that's how you get artists. There's a whole bunch of adversity. Look, it's not easy being an artist in Alberta. But then again, you're having, you have audiences come because they don't have anything else to do when it's minus 30 out. So you'll often be performing in front of the very people that revile you, that want to take away your funding, but they don't have anything else to do with all their money. So they come and see your weird one-person show at the High Performance Rodeo. That's the way art goes. It's difficult. It's hard. We're constantly being threatened. These are the signs that you're doing it right, that you're in the right place, and that you are needed. We'll be right back after this quick break with today's Q&A. If you have a question you want answered on the show, send a voice memo to jasonbryden at gmail.com. That's jasonbryden, B-R-Y-D-E-N, at gmail.com. Hey, if you're in Toronto, I'd love for you to join me at my Monday night more than just an acting class. I want to be your cheerleader. And you don't have to just be an actor. You can. We're all performers. So if you want to work on public speaking or um, how to do a Zoom call better or how to present or uh, how to talk better if you're a lawyer or a politician or anything. Come and do some scene work at my class. I'll provide everything. You don't have to prepare a thing. When I'm, I've been making all these videos online, just short little one or two minute videos on Instagram and YouTube, and I put them on Facebook for a while, but then, God, Facebook is just so annoying. I just couldn't keep doing it. But anyways, I'm getting off track. The videos that got the most feedback were the self-helpy ones, which surprised me. But then again, I love self-help, so... That which makes me cringe is actually the interesting stuff. There's a lot of acting teachers in Toronto. Everywhere. Anybody can be an acting teacher. You don't have to have any training or anything. You don't, there's no accreditation. I've been a student of acting since the 90s. And the stuff I like is when the teacher encourages me to keep learning. There's a lot of naysayers out there and a lot of naysayers in your head. Self-doubt is um, a country we're all familiar with. So what I want to do is encourage and love. Whether you're starting out in your 20s or your 60s, if you're compelled, you got to answer that call. So find a class that will support you, whether you're a star or a galaxy. If you got to do this, then you got to find that community 
of people that want to do it with you. Because it's not about making it. It's not about celebrity or fame or fortune. It's about making stuff with people you like. That's the goal. If you're in Toronto, I'd love to meet you. Shoot me an email at jasonbryden at gmail.com for more information. Hey, welcome back. It's time for today's Q&A. Our first question is from Bruce in Stratford, Ontario. Hey, buddy, it's Bruce, uh, Bruce Horak here. I'm currently working on putting together my very first demo reel and wondering if you have any advice. How about that? Thanks, Bruce, baby. That is a really good question. Demo reels have to show as much range as possible. They have to do the impossible in the shortest amount of time. What do you got? Like two or three minutes? Like, honestly, what is a decision maker going to watch? How long can you keep their attention? Like anything these days, the decision makers are drowning in auditions, in desperation, in content. So you have to go the opposite way. You've got to surprise them. You've got to shock them. You've got to make them laugh. You've got to elicit some sort of response. When I started out, my demo reel was whatever I could put on there. And it wasn't always the best. I wasn't good either. So that may have had something to do with it. But for you, it's got to be a work of art and nothing less. It's got to be like all of the pain and suffering. You've got to talk about the cancer and the goblins and the Shakespeare and the this and the that. It's all got to go in there. That would be my advice. But the more surprising, the more you, the more honest, that's what is going to separate you from the rest of the pack. Now, maybe I should change my tone a bit. It's a bit like, here's, here's your homework. What I mean to say is, this is such a great opportunity to do something really fun and surprising. And I mean, if you can enlist your friends, even better. People are busy, but there's just so many ways these days to make great stuff for very little money. So think of it less as, oh, I got to do my demo reel, and more of, uh, I'm going to learn about making short films. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn about shooting stuff on my phone. I'm going to figure out what the sound requirements are. I'm going to, you know, I've got a few scenes here from the shows I've been doing, and I've got this over here. I'm going to tie it all together with a story. I'm going to tie it together with some straight-to-camera commentary that's going to tell my story, make people laugh, and surprise people. Now, you may get some feedback from, I don't know, your representation or others that were, that are like, whoa, 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 what's with all this coloring outside the lines? But I'm telling you, these days especially, if everyone's inside the lines, you have to go outside of them. You have to. Otherwise, you'll just make a nice thing that won't upset anyone. You got to upset people. If you're upsetting people, you're doing it right. Good luck, Bruce. I can't wait to see the finished product. Hey, JB. David Ray here. Uh, really enjoying your stuff. 
Um, I have a question as a director. What I'm curious about is when you're on set under the gun and you see a scene that isn't working because of performance, what I'd love to know is what is the most effective way with under the gun to make a, a adjustment to communicate to an actor, uh, you know, uh, some sort of change in their performance um, when you don't have time to really go into too much detail? Is there a shorthand you'd recommend? Um, any tools would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, JB. Keep it up. Bye. Such a good question. That was uh, Dave from Vancouver. Thanks, Dave. Okay, first of all, if you're directing for performance on the day, then I would take a look at what happened in casting. That would be my first question. Direction, as you well know, is 75% casting. You take care of the person that will take care of you in casting. You shouldn't have to direct for performance on the day. However, there are occasions where a director uh, has to collaborate with a performer that may not have been their first choice, and so they have to, they have to do some hand-holding on the day. Or perhaps uh, the actor, and this, this does happen, they audition better than they can actually act. And then you have somebody that you have to carry. Here's what I do. It depends on the situation. But whatever you do, remember that actors aren't the people with the answers or the ideas. They pretend they have ideas. And maybe when you get to a certain level of competence or celebrity, then you've got to entertain these ideas. But if you have a young actor that's drowning out there, you don't want to give them more leash. You want to give them less. Actors want to be taken care of. They want to be directed. So this is how you direct them, especially when they're having trouble. Say as little as possible. All right? Don't put a whole bunch of focus on them. Say it in passing. Do stuff like, okay, this time let's do it faster. It gets people out of their heads. It's shitty direction. All actors are taught, man, if you get a director who says do it faster, they don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They're saying do it faster. They're saying do it differently. Anytime a director says, this is what I teach to actors, if you ever get redirection that is like, okay, do it again, but faster or slower, all they're saying is do it differently for fuck's sake. Give me some options. So impart that to your actors, that you just want it different. You just, and you want them out of their heads. So anything you can say, Dave, that'll calm them down, that's what you got to go for. Don't go for the, the, for the, let's find your motivation together. Don't ask more questions, all right? Don't interrogate the artistic process. We've got to, like, take the preciousness away and say stuff like, okay, do it this time, but holding this coffee mug, you know? Do anything to get them out of their, out of their heads. That means um, give them a prop. Make them eat food. Make them walk. Make them stand. Do something that is surprising to them, that is off kilter. And take that. Like, t t t blame yourself for it. So say to them, sorry for my bad direction. You know, I just, we're just not, um, I'm just not having a great day. Blame yourself. Tell them what to do in practical terms. 
And then all you can do is hope for the best. We want to make it conversational. If the acting is stilted or filled with nerves or whatever, make it conversational again. So sneak up on the actor, not literally. They're fragile. But sneak up on them with the lines, you know? Just have a conversation with them. Go over and chat to them. Remember, make it in, make it feel like you're just doing it in passing, that it's casual, you know? Don't make too much eye contact. We're, we're, it, it, it's like we're dealing with thoroughbreds, okay? Um, and then make it conversational. So start talking to them and then ask them to say the lines, just in the same way as the way they are when they're talking to you. I mean, we can... we. We shoot coverage so we can cut around performance, right? So many directors shoot coverage because they're afraid, because they don't know how to edit. But really, you, you only need to start shooting coverage if you've, got a, if you've got a performance that is untenable. And that way you can just shoot the backs of their heads and focus on the other person who hopefully is, is having a better day. Thank you so much. I hope that information was helpful. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, send me a voicemail to jasonbryden at gmail.com. Otherwise, that's the show. I appreciate you so much. Thanks again for listening, for rating and reviewing. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. You can go to boldacting.substack.com. Just sign up for your e- with your email address, and I'll send you a free five-minute read weekly every Sunday uh, with my thoughts on performance technique and my reflections on what we're working on in class. If you're in Toronto uh, and you want to check out my class, it's every Monday in Bloordale, 6 to 9. It's only 20 bucks. We'd love to have you drop by, work on some auditions. Or bring nothing. I've got scenes for you. We can do scene study right there. The whole point of it is encouragement. I want more actors, not less. I want more artists, not less. We got ourselves into this mess because we've been focusing on the wrong stuff. Let's get back to art. Let's get back to encouragement. This The process should be joyful. For more information, go to boldacting.com. See you next week. <laughs>